This is Clinical Pearls. So I'm in the OR and I ask one of our medical students what kind of surgical incision the patient had. Was it a class one, class two, three or four? And I got the deer in the headlights look. And I realize that we are teaching in-depth, complex obstetric and gynecological principles, but kind of forgot to go over basic concepts of wound care. That's why in this podcast, we're going to cover the four phases of wound healing and remind everybody of the CDC's criteria for surgical site infection and review the World Health Organization's four classifications of surgical incisions. We're going to relate the process of wound healing to the process of house repair. So it'll be fun, it'll be instructional, and we're going to remind ourselves of some surgical principles. Let's get started now. Wound healing is a complex and dynamic process with the wound environment changing with the shifting health status of an individual. Knowledge of the physiology of the normal wound healing trajectory through the four phases of hemostasis, inflammation, proliferation, and remodeling helps ensure the safety and health of the individual. Let's cover these four different phases again hemostasis inflammation, proliferation, and remodeling using an analogy of a damaged home. In the analogy of the broken house, the first stage of wound healing is hemostasis. Once the source of damage to a house has been removed and before work can start on its repair, utility workers must first cap the damaged gas lines or water lines to the property. So too in wound healing must damaged blood vessels be sealed. In wound healing, the platelets are the factors that act as utility workers sealing off the damaged blood vessels. The blood vessels themselves constrict in response to injury, but this spasm ultimately relaxes. The platelets secrete vasoconstrictive substances to aid this process, but their prime role is to form a stable clot sealing the damaged blood vessel. Remember, this is where we get the extrinsic and the intrinsic coagulation cascade. Under the influence of adenosine diphosphate, or ADP, leaking from damaged tissue, the platelets adhere to exposed type 1 collagen. They become activated and secrete adhesive glycoproteins, leading to platelet aggregation. They also secrete factors that interact with and stimulate the intrinsic clotting cascade through the production of thrombin, which in turn initiates the formation of fibrin from fibrinogen. The fibrin mesh strengthens the platelet aggravate into a stable hemostatic plug. Finally, 
platelets also secrete growth factors like platelet-derived growth factor, which is recognized as one of the first factors in initiating the subsequent healing steps. These growth factors recruit neutrophils and monocytes, initiating the next phase of wound healing. It also helps to stimulate epithelial cells and recruit fibroblasts. Hemostasis occurs within minutes of the initial injury unless the patient has an underlying clotting disorder. Remember, the first stage of wound healing is hemostasis, and this leads to the second phase, which is inflammation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Inflammation is the second component of wound healing, and this clinically presents as mild erythema, mild swelling, mild warmth, and mild associated pain. Remember the classic rubor, tumor, calor, and dolor. This stage usually lasts up to four days post-injury. In the damaged house analogy, once the utilities are capped, remember that was hemostasis, then this second job is to clean up the debris. That is the job and the purpose of inflammation. This is a job for the, quote, unskilled laborers. In a wound, these unskilled laborers are the neutrophils, the PMNs. The inflammatory response causes the blood vessels to become leaky, releasing plasma neutrophils into the surrounding tissue. The neutrophils phagocytize debris and microorganisms and provide the first line of defense against infection. As they digest bacteria and debris, neutrophils die and release intracellular enzymes into the surrounding matrix, which further digest tissue. As fibrin is now broken down as part of this cleanup process, the degradation products attract the next cells involved, like fibroblasts and epithelial cells. The third stage, which we'll talk about next, remember, is proliferation. You can see that each stage sets up the clinical factors for the next. The task of repairing a house is complex and requires someone like a contractor to direct this activity. Similarly, wound repair requires coordinated cell activity and good cell-to-cell communication. Cells communicate through soluble protein called cytokines and growth factors. These cytokines and growth factors are released by one cell and bind to a receptor on their target cell. Growth factors, on the other hand, stimulate a target cell to either divide and produce more cells or synthesize and release substances like collagen, which is required to form the extracellular matrix. The extracellular matrix also provides an active role in wound healing by interacting with the cells through receptors called integrins, leading to platelet activation, epithelial migration, and fibroblast movement. 
Remember, we're talking about the inflammatory stage. Here is where the macrophages act as the contractors. Circulating monocytes differentiate into macrophages after they exit the blood vessels and come in contact with the extracellular matrix. Macrophages are able to phagocytize bacteria and provide a second line of defense. Remember, PMNs were the first line of defense. Macrophages also secrete extracellular enzymes to degrade necrotic tissue and help clean up the wound site. These enzymes belong to a family of substances called matrix melanoproteases. Matrix melanoproteases require calcium to form a functional shape and zinc for the active site. Macrophages secrete a variety of cytokines and growth factors as well, like fibroblast growth factor, epidermal growth factor, transforming growth factor beta, and interleukin-1. Inflammation, the body's response to trauma, can be confused with infection. However, inflammation is a normal response to tissue injury, but with increased bacterial burden and decreased host resistance, it can lead to infection. Remember, we're going to cover the different kinds of infection based on the CDC a little bit later in the podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The third stage is proliferation. The proliferation phase starts approximately four days after wound healing and usually lasts about 21 days or three weeks. This is in acute wounds. It depends on the size of the wound and the health of the patient. This phase is characterized by angiogenesis, collagen deposition, granulation tissue formation, wound contraction, and epithelialization. Clinically, proliferation is observed by the presence of pebbled red tissue or collagen in the wound base that involves replacement of dermal tissues and sometimes subdermal tissues in deeper wounds, as well as contraction of the wound. So in the house analogy, once the site has been cleared of debris under the direction of the contractors, framers come in and build the framework of the new house. This is a proliferation phase. Subcontractors can now install new plumbing and wiring on the framework and siders and roofers can finish the exterior of the house in this analogy. The framer cells in this analogy in the wound are the fibroblasts. The plumber cells are the pericytes which regenerate the outer layers of capillaries. The roofer and the cider are the keratinocytes which are responsible for epithelialization. In the final stage of epithelialization, contracture occurs as the keratinocytes differentiate to form the protective outer layer or the stratum corneum. We are on to the fourth and the final stage of wound healing, which is remodeling. Once the basic structure of the house is completed, interior finishing can begin in this analogy. Similarly, in wound repair, the healing process involves remodeling 
and realignment of the collagen tissue to produce greater tensile strength. In addition, cell and capillary density decrease. The main cells involved in the remodeling process are the fibroblasts. Remodeling can take up to two years after wound healing begins. This explains why closed wounds can rapidly break down if attention is not paid to the initial causative factors. Let's review the four different classifications of wounds as they apply to surgical incisions. A class 1 incision is a clean type of wound. This usually is defined as a wound that is non-traumatic or is elective surgery that does not involve the GI tract, respiratory tract, or the GU tract. An example of this is a hernia repair, vascular surgery, or mastectomy. Again, a class 1 wound is a clean surgical wound with an infection rate of about 1-2%. to A class 2 incision is one that is clean, contaminated. This involves surgery in the respiratory system, GI tract, or the GU tract. All of these different tracts are entered but there is minimal contamination. This includes things like gastrectomies or hysterectomies. The infection rate here is anywhere from 5 to 10%. A class 3 wound is one that is contaminated. These are open surgical incisions that can include traumatic wounds. These can also have surgical procedures with uncontrolled spillage of body contents. It can be a minor break in sterile technique as well. For example, a ruptured appy or an emergent bowel resection is a class 3 contaminated wound. The infection rate is about 20% in this case. The class 4 types of incisions are considered dirty and these have to do with open wounds that are usually traumatic. These include most dirty or frankly infected wounds, traumatic perforation of viscous or frank pus in the field is a class 4 incision. An example of this is an intestinal fistulous resection, again an intestinal fistulous resection. That infection rate is about 25 but it can be as high as 70%. So the four different types of wounds are class 1 clean, class 2 clean contaminated, class 3 is contaminated, and class 4 is dirty. Let's end the podcast with a quick review of the CDC definitions of a surgical site infection. The CDC defines a surgical site infection, or an SSI, as one of three different categories, either superficial incisional, deep incisional, or organ space involvement. For a superficial incisional SSI, that infection has to occur within 30 days after the operation. The infection must involve only the skin or the subcutaneous tissue and at least one of the following. Purulent discharge, organisms isolated from the fluid or tissue of a superficial incision. At least one sign of inflammation should be present, like pain or tenderness, induration, erythema, or local warmth. The wound is deliberately opened by the surgeon or the surgeon or the attending physician declares the wound to be infected.
A wound is not considered a superficial site infection if there is a stitch abscess that is present isolated or if the infection of an episiotomy is noted that is not considered a superficial incisional infection. Infection of a burn wound or an incisional SSI that extends into the fascia or the muscle is not considered a superficial SSI. Once again, to be a superficial incisional surgical site infection, it should involve the skin or subcutaneous tissue, be present within the first 30 days, and typically involves signs of inflammations with purulent discharge or an organism isolated. For deep incisional surgical site infections, the infection occurs within 30 days or up to one year if an implant is present. The infection involves the deep soft tissues like the fascia or the muscle under the incision. And it must have at least one of the following, purulent discharge from the deep incision, but without organ space involvement. It must have fascial dehiscence or a fascia that is easy or deliberately opened. Deep abscess is identified by direct examination during reoperation or by histopathology or even by radiological studies. Again, this is a deep incisional SSI. For organ space involvement, this infection typically occurs again within 30 days or within one year if an implant is present. The infection must involve anatomical structures and at least one of the following should be present. Purulent drainage from a drain placed by a stab wound into the organ space. Or it must grow organisms from the deep organ space that's involved. It can also have identification of an abscess in the deep organ space by direct examination, during reoperation, by histopathological or by radiological criteria. This ends our review of the four phases of wound healing using the broken house analogy. We've also covered the four types of surgical wounds as well as the CDC criteria for surgical site infection. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.